0: Do you remember anything significant happening on March 9th? Chances are, four and a half months later, you've completely lost your sense of time. And that particular day, before any American governor had issued a shelter-in-place order, seems like a figment of your imagination, part of a completely different era. However, March 9th was the beginning of the end of the BC era, or what I will refer to as before coronavirus. On that day, there were just 717 confirmed cases nationwide only 26 dead, and there were still 14 states in the United States that had yet to report their first confirmed COVID-19 cases. Many Americans were already concerned and wary about the virus, but not Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert. Following Utah's pregame shoot-around on March 9th, Gobert wound down his media session jokingly and in retrospect terribly irresponsibly by making a point of touching every single microphone and voice recorder before leaving the media room. Two days later, I saw a breaking news alert flash across my computer screen. Utah Jazz player tests positive for COVID-19. It was Go Bear.
1: The NBA shocking the sports world last night. The game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. Yeah, that was the scene uh, after the NBA postponed a game between the Jazz and Thunder. Uh, shortly afterward, the league suspended its season indefinitely.
0: On March 12, Gobert's teammate Donovan Mitchell confirmed he had tested positive for the coronavirus. And while Gobert apologized for his actions, writing in an Instagram post that same day, quote, I want to thank everyone for the outpouring concern and support over the last 24 hours. I've gone through so many emotions since learning of my diagnosis, mostly fear, anxiety, and embarrassment. The first and most important thing is I would like to publicly apologize to the people that I may have endangered. At the time, I had no idea I was even infected. I was careless and make no excuse. I hope my story serves as a warning causes everyone to take this seriously. I will do whatever I can to support using my experience as a way to educate others and prevent the spread of this virus. I am under great care and will fully recover. Thank you again for all your support. I encourage everyone to take all of the steps to stay safe and healthy. End quote. However, a domino effect of sports closures had already begun to take place. We're learning that March Madness has been canceled. The NCAA just putting out a statement saying the Division I men and women's basketball championship tournaments, those are done. They are not going to happen. And all of the NCAA championships in all sports for the winter and spring seasons, those will be canceled as well. With this announcement, every major sports organization worldwide had postponed, suspended or canceled their planned seasons in light of what has become a global coronavirus pandemic. The suspension of all sports worldwide was the precipitating event for the first shelter-in-place order issued in the United States by California Governor Gavin Newsom.
1: A state as large as ours, a nation-state, is many parts, but at the end of the day, we're one body. There's a mutuality and there's a recognition of our interdependence that requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for
0: people to stay at home. That directive... Goes into force and effect this evening. A little more than four months since Governor Newsom's announcement, American team sports are returning. But is that a good idea? On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we'll take a look at the return of American professional team sports as Major League Baseball opens its regular season. Are we ready for sports to return? Are sports a distraction from the pain, suffering, death, and tragedy the coronavirus pandemic has unleashed on America? Or could it turn out that sports are actually the cure we've been looking for all this time? For me, the announcement that there would be no more sports for an indeterminate amount of time was when the reality of COVID-19 hit. If there were no sports, this virus must certainly be serious. Only once before in my memory has sports been postponed, and that was after 9-11. The return of sports in September 2001, when Mets catcher Mike Piazza hit what would turn out to be a game-winning home run against Atlanta in the first post-9-11 professional sports event in the U.S. in New York, and when President George W. Bush threw out the first pitch before Game 3 of the 2001 World Series at Yankee Stadium, could be encapsulated in one word, catharsis.
2: Lopez wants it away. And it's hit
1: deep to- Andrew Jones on the run, this one has a chance, home run, Mike Piazza, and the Mets lead, 3-2. to two.
2: For tonight's ceremonial first pitch, please welcome the President of the United States.
0: those highlights courtesy of WPIX and Fox Sports. But part of that catharsis was the feeling things were back to normal. That we as a nation could point to the return of baseball in New York as a national victory. That the Taliban could neither defeat nor suffocate the American spirit. We could get together in a stadium and yell and scream to our heart's content. But not now. To gather, to yell, to scream, risks spreading an awful and horribly contagious disease. Instead, sports are taking place without fans in the stands.
1: Very good up and down. Lovely second shot. Little unlucky to go long.
2: And they're into the stretch of the Belmont, and tis the law has taken charge. stepped down in the final furlong by Manny Franco. Tis the law's got a two-length lead. Doctor Post has moved up on the outside into second. Pneumatic is third, but it is the New York hero, tis the law, and Manny Franco to win the Belmont.
0: Those relatively quiet, nearly silent highlights, respectively, are courtesy of CBS Sports and NBC Sports. During a recent roundtable discussion with Vice President Mike Pence, LSU head football coach Ed Orgeron stressed the importance of playing college, and presumably professional football, this year. Quote, We need to play. This state needs it. This country needs it, Orgeron said. I don't think we can take this away from our players, take this away from our state and our country. We need football football is the lifeblood of our country, end quote. The flip side of this argument was encapsulated by Washington National's relief pitcher, Sean Doolittle, during a recent interview with reporters.
2: We're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functional society.
0: I have thought about all the reasons I think Orgeron is wrong and Doolittle is right. If losing all American sports, major and minor leagues, professional college, high school, even little league didn't convey the seriousness of this pandemic to the United States as a whole, what would? Would it be warnings that we could possibly infect our parents, grandparents, and other elderly family? No. Shaming young spring breakers and younger people drinking in bars? Nope, seeing soccer come back in Europe, baseball return to Korea more than 100,000 people dead from the virus in the United States. The banning of Americans from traveling to Canada and any country in the European Union. This morning as our nation deals with an ongoing health crisis, a grim reminder of what's at stake and what has already been lost.
1: The U.S. coronavirus death toll now soaring to more than 100,000. Americans are barred from entering Europe starting July 1st. While no official announcement has been made yet, a government source confirms to me there is a tentative deal to keep the Canada-U.S. border closed to non-essential travel until at least August 21st. The border has been closed since March due to COVID-19 and the restrictions have been extended several times already, the latest extension due to expire a week from today. The news comes as cases continue to spike south of the border with the most cases in
0: the planet, while here in Canada we're starting to flatten the curve. So far, sadly, the resounding and emphatic response has been no, 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 and no again. Instead, we've had calls from the president of these United States to liberate states like Virginia, Michigan, and Minnesota from shelter-in-place and mandatory mask orders. More than four and a half months after President Trump issued a national state of emergency because of COVID-19, there is still no national plan to combat this virus. The following statement from Trump's July 22nd introduction of season two of the daily White House coronavirus briefings read unenthusiastically from a sheet of paper on his podium is as close to a national strategy as we've got. We're asking Americans to use masks, socially distance and employ vigorous hygiene. Welcome to the party, pal. It's about damn time. I hope he's not expecting a reward for doing what has been so obviously necessary for months. Or expecting we'll forget all of his previous false assurances and rosy proclamations that we don't need to do anything as Americans to get through this pandemic. Or forgive his and the White House's almost entirely malignant and cruel lack of response and duty in the face of this once-in-a-century crisis.
2: Now the virus that we're talking about having to do, you know, a lot of people think that goes away in April with the heat, as the heat comes in. Uh, typically, that will go away in April.
0: I've spoken to uh, President Xi. They're getting it more and more under control. So
2: I think that's a problem that's going to go away. But When you have 15 people, and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, That's a pretty good job we've done. Dr.
1: Fauci said earlier this week that the lag in testing was, in fact, a failing. Do you take responsibility for that? And when can you guarantee that every single American who needs a test will be able to have a test? What's the date of that?
0: Yeah, no, I don't take responsibility at all. This same attitude of behavior and decisions being completely untethered from real-world consequences has migrated down from the top, from the White House, To Senator Rand Paul, who rather than quarantining himself after finding out he'd been exposed to the virus, instead went to work out at the Senate gym. To governors like Florida's Ron DeSantis and Georgia's Brian Kemp, who decided, virus and consequences be damned, we're not going to make masks mandatory, and we're going to reopen our states no matter what. Governor Kemp is even suing the Democratic mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, to overturn her mask mandate in the state's largest city. The current state of affairs with the United States' battle against the coronavirus left 670 The Score afternoon co-host Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel absolutely exasperated.
1: What an embarrassment. We honestly should be ashamed of ourselves. As a country? As a country, yeah. We yeah, should be ashamed yeah, of yeah, we're ourselves. Terrible. We're, ab- we're absolutely terrible in that way. It, it, it's just insane. Mm-hmm. Like, the rest of the world is figuring out how to deal with this, and they're being disciplined and they're staying locked down for the amount of time that they need to stay locked down. And we just can't bother ourselves enough to inconvenience ourselves enough to deal with it because people are like, oh, it's bad in New York, New Orleans, and Chicago and San Francisco. It's not yeah. bad here. And then what do you know? It got bad there. And so it's just going to keep ping ponging around because we can't, we, we have no discipline. So good luck, sports. Hope you're enjoying this.
0: So if we're not going to respond to a global pandemic when we lose sports, why would we change our behavior when it returns? It's quite clear from news reports, from recent case reports, where multiple states are clocking more than 10,000 new cases per day, and the United States as a whole reported more than 70,000 new cases on three straight days in the middle of July, that Americans as a whole have lost interest in fighting this pandemic. We've also lost interest in hailing our frontline essential workers. Are we helping our healthcare workers who are fighting this pandemic day in, day out in overflowing emergency rooms when we gather at bars and throw house parties? Do a lot of the people who are able to work from home every day think that much about those who can't afford to or can't do their jobs from home? grocery store workers, delivery drivers, garbage collectors, and the many others who must leave their homes to work and provide for their families and the risk of their own health and quite possibly their lives, it's no wonder that some essential workers think of themselves not as essential, but expendable. And that's how I feel watching sports return, like the players of the gladiators in the Roman arena, fighting to the death for our entertainment. We
1: have had guys here that showed up on Sunday and hadn't gotten tested again Eight, seven days
0: later, you know, and then you don't get the results for two days either. So that's, you know, nine days without knowing. And I think if we really want this to to succeed, you know, we're going to have to figure that
1: out. I wanted to play this year because I felt that it would be safe and I would feel comfortable. But honestly, I I don't really feel that that way, which is why I'm trying to keep my distance from everybody and wear my mask and and uh, just so that we can get this thing going.
2: I can't for- say I'm that confident because you know, I haven't been show, shown yet. It's kind of tough to be confident in something that hasn't, hasn't proved to be foolproof. Uh, that There's not a whole lot really I can do. It's kind of out of my control, but it's in, it's in somebody's control, and whoever, whoever's control it's in, you have to find a way to, to make it work, or this whole operation may not be able to work.
0: That was the Cubs' Chris Bryant and Dodgers' Mookie Betts speaking to reporters on July 7th. There's no doubt that the players who cannot afford to opt out of this season, the ones on the end of the bench, the rookies and -and up-and-comers, the prospects for whom this may be their only chance, the majority of NFL players for whom one season represents more than 25% of the average player's active career, are making what could be a life-and-death decision, particularly in the sports that are not going to be played in a bubble. If you want your sports to come back, wear a mask. Now am I getting through to you? Guess not. On the merits of the argument, Sean Doolittle is correct, but here we are trying to bring sports back in the midst of a pandemic in some of the hardest hit states in the country, Florida, Texas, and my home state of California. I've been racking my brain for a justifiable reason to restart sports when it's not only more than likely, but nearly guaranteed that the restarts of the NBA and NHL and the 2020 MLB and NFL seasons will not go off without a hitch. Our national response, or rather our complete lack of one, in the last week of July to the pandemic has been a global embarrassment. It's reopen while simultaneously defunding any and all services that would help us flatten the curve and at least try to get a handle on this deadly virus. When it comes to numbers, the powers that be mainly stick their fingers in their ears and yell, I can't hear you. When reporters ask about the four million plus confirmed COVID nineteen cases and nearly one hundred fifty thousand deaths because of it in the United States alone. What if you listen to the story of former professional athlete and current Chicago Cubs pitching coach Tommy Hotovie's story of dealing with the coronavirus? Hotovie told Morning Drive hosts Mike Mulligan and David Haw on Chicago's six seventy The Score that he'd been vigilant about taking all the necessary precautions to avoid the virus, and, as of the end of June, He had no idea how he contracted it.
1: I had the virus. I had my own battle with this virus and I want to be able to talk about this and talk about baseball and and share my experience because I shared my journey with the pitchers and with the guys on the team because it, it is important to understand that guys, I'm 38 years old. I've been poked, prodded, tested for the last 16 years in Major League Baseball. I've I had no underlying issues. I've had no, nothing that would red flag me as somebody that, that could get hit pretty hard with this virus. But I did first five, or six days were pretty normal. What you hear with a lot of cases. The problem with me though, on day eight through 14, it crushed me and it got into my lungs. I got full, like what they call the COVID pneumonia. It's a viral pneumonia, shortness of breath, really trouble breathing, you know, constant fevers, I think. And, you know, one thing they have you do when you're going through this is you log all your your temperatures when you take your, you know, your Tylenol, when you, you know, the fluids you're drinking. I have six pages of six days of basically fever of 100 and higher the whole time with with very little breaks. As I mentioned, on day 12 is when I, you know, it was, it just had gotten so bad that I had to go to the hospital. And um, fortunate for me, Again, you know, being young enough, I was able to go in there and get tested, get on the breathing treatment to kind of help open up my lungs a little bit and was able to be released later in the day. A lot of that was just because they needed the rooms for people that were in worse shape than I was. And going through that and actually going to the hospital and seeing what the, what the frontline workers and the hospitals are dealing with, it, it's really, I mean, just honestly, it's eye opening. And, and I feel fortunate. You know, to have gone through what I did and, and have come out the other end of it, but you know, there was there were times. As, as doctor said I felt like I was eighty, laying in my bed at 102 fever, and I couldn't move, and and it was just relentless. And there's four straight days of it.
0: Parkinson Spiegel asked Cubs starting pitcher Kyle Hendricks for his reaction to, How to V's story.
1: That was crazy, and to go through, go with that, you know, with him through that was just it was terrible. What it the cause it had on his family? It was super eye opening. I think to all of us here and just how serious that this can be and i think it really is a testament to how we've run things now that we've started back up i mean everyone is so just doing everything that's possible you know to stay in this kind of bubble we've created and be as safe as possible we don't want to affect anyone or anyone else's family that's the, really the hardest thing to listen to when he was talking about his story was what it did to his family you know so we just we don't want anything like that to ever happen so we're just trying to make every step we can to make it as good as we can around our environment.
0: If we're not going to listen to our elected officials, maybe, as Spiegel said, we can rally around what we always have as Americans.
1: Here's the great unifier, theoretically, at least among our listeners. Folks, do you want sports back? (laughs) Okay. I mean, seriously just screw everything else. And I know we talk about everything else because we're all motivated by different things and all these different ideas, but forget it. Forget it. It's let sports be the unifier. It always has been.
0: In a recent interview, 670 The Score midday host Dan Bernstein spoke with Chicago Cubs utility man Ian Happ about how sports could be a uniting force for Americans in this time.
1: I know it sounds cheesy, but I do think that pro athletes right now, because you're trying to literally win something and can gain a competitive advantage, you can set a really good example that might reach someone who's otherwise unreachable
2: yeah i think so for sure i think that's part of the reason why our protocols are so strict it's part of the reason why you see guys on tv wearing masks on the field outside when they're not within 20 feet of people because they are they do they want to set an example i can say just for me personally when i was in arizona and there was a limited number of cases out there it definitely didn't feel the same as it feels now. It didn't, I didn't feel as responsible. I didn't feel like I needed to be as meticulous with everything I'm doing and being back, being with the team, looking through the protocols, and then just looking at, at your teammates' faces and, and kind of thinking through, you know, this guy's going to be a free agent next year. This guy has arbitration. This guy has someone at home who who cannot get this disease. You think through the consequences of your actions with everybody else, and if that doesn't make you responsible and accountable, Um, to doing the right thing, to wearing your mask, to being really disciplined away from the field, then you're definitely not a good
0: teammate. Many Americans have not been good teammates to each other, refusing to wear masks, yelling and screaming at essential workers that their constitutional freedoms are under attack because they're being refused service at a pharmacy or grocery store. Removing the argument about whether that's smart or not, is it considerate? Is that how you would treat a teammate or expect a teammate to treat you? What if, under these dire once-in-a-lifetime circumstances, we acted like the teammates we all are and unite as Americans to beat this virus? If the team with the fewest cases wins, we've got a long way to go. But if, in fact, we still believe in and can act on what we think of as our American exceptionalism and strength, we can still meet this virus head-on and beat it. And maybe, for better or worse, we'll need sports and the athletes who play them to be the role models who lead the way into a post-COVID world. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was voiced, written, produced, and edited by me, Jake Williams. Thank you for listening.